My prayer for us is that God's word will not return void. That it will return with you for a message this Sunday in Lent as we continue to journey through the gospel of Mark. Last Sunday we looked at the transfiguration of Jesus up on the mountain. But you know what? As the saying goes, what goes up must come down. And Jesus did in fact, journey down the mountain with his disciples after that glorious appearing of his full divinity and Elijah and Moses. And on the way down, Jesus talked about the cross, about his death and his resurrection, and the disciples just seemed to ignore it or not want to deal with it. What's he talking about? But what must go up, what goes up must come down. And as Jesus came down the mountain on the way down, he talked about a power that would sacrifice. And at the bottom of the mountain are usually valleys or are realities. Hard stuff is at the bottom of the mountain. Have you ever been? on a retreat, and you've called it what? A a mountaintop experience. And then Monday morning hits. Or you've just gotten away to go literally to the mountains, and there's something about the anticipation of getting there. I know I've had a couple experiences in California with Big Bear and Lake Arrowhead. Um, It's nothing like anticipating getting there. And then on the drive home... It it is kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm going back to reality. This week in Mark's gospel, we move from the scene of glory. Remember the Father's words? Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. We move from the scene of glory to the troubled world below. And that move is jarring. For Jesus and the disciples, on the mountaintop, Jesus came into special contact with the glory of his Father. And now at the foot of the mountain, Jesus comes into special contact with the misery of humanity, suffering. Maybe some of you here this morning are dealing with suffering. You feel like you're not on a mountaintop as beautiful as they are looking right now after all the rain and snow, right? You feel like you're in a valley or a pit. You feel like you're in the midst of hard stuff, the misery of humanity. And so we're going to follow Jesus and his disciples and a father and a son. In Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. But first, let's pray. So God, as we heard from Isaiah 55, your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And I would pray that as we engage your word this morning, that your spirit would speak to us, would encourage us, would guide us, would direct us, would mold us and shape us. May we hear your word to us today, we pray. Amen. 
Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, meaning Jesus and Peter, James, and John, coming down the mountain, right? When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So we get a little picture here of the argument going on. Either the teachers of the law were, were not really agreeing with the, the, the other nine disciples trying to cast out this demon, or, or they were arguing over they should be the ones doing it. We don't know. But obviously we get a sense that the argument was around this issue with the father and the son. Verse 19, Jesus' words, You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Have any of you ever been there with me? I mean, that that is just being so honest, isn't it? Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse and many said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Thanks be to God. And this is where, if anything, Jesus is Lord over all. Amen? Jesus is Lord over all. We see that word again that Mark uses immediately. We see Jesus' resurrecting power. I mean, whether the boy was dead or not, he at least looked dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and up he came free. Jesus is Lord, friends. Jesus is Lord. And yet, verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? That's an honest question, too. Because earlier in the Gospel of Mark, and earlier if you read Matthew or Luke or John, the disciples surely were given authority and power. They were empowered by God's Spirit to deliver and heal. And they were doing that. Why not this time? It's an honest question. It's an honest question 
I'll try to tackle with you in just a couple minutes. But they ask an honest question. Why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Verse 30, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Through Galilee. There's no more stopping in Galilee. At this point, if you start reading ahead in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has one aim, and that's to get to Jerusalem. And what awaits him at Jerusalem? The cross. At this point, we take a pivotal journey with Jesus. He's going to the cross. And we, on Ash Wednesday, began our journey to the cross with Jesus. We're in the season of Lent, journeying to the cross with Jesus. His disciples don't understand it. And some of us here today may be saying, I don't understand this whole death and resurrection thing. Why did Jesus have to die? Let's journey together and find out. But they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Teaching his disciples. He continues to do that. Even at times when they frustrate him and make him wonder, oh my goodness. Um, He's teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. In other words, they didn't engage it. And Jesus knew that. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Now, just work with me a minute here. I am I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified, dead and buried. And I'm going to rise again. That's good news. And they're arguing about who is the greatest. I mean, imagine me um, coming home um, and talking with Jean, and she shares with me some really bad, bad health news. And I go something like, oh, oh, that's great. But, you, you know, I think I preached the greatest sermon this morning I ever preached. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Did you see it? Did you listen? Did you hear it? How insensitive of me. And I just think that's a little bit about what's going on here. What were you arguing about? Um, Goodness. Uh, But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He's still teaching his disciples. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. God's word to us this morning. Wow, a lot going on here. Let's let's engage it for a few uh, minutes together. Um, As we think about coming down the mountain. There is a painting in the Vatican Museum. It's entitled The Transfiguration. It's painted by Raphael. And this is how one art uh, critic describes it. The uppermost part pictures the transfigured form of Jesus 
with Moses on the left, Elijah on the right. On the next level down are Peter, James, and John. Remember, they were there, recently awakened and shielding their eyes from Jesus' blinding brilliance. Then on the ground level is a poor demon-possessed boy, his mouth hideously gaping with wild ravings. At his side is his desperate father. Surrounding them are the rest of the disciples, some who are pointing upward to the glowing figure of Christ, who will, as we heard from the text, be the boy's only answer. Raphael has brilliantly captured something of the overwhelming contrast between the glorious Mount of Transfiguration and the troubled world waiting below. Friends, some of us may even feel like our gatherings here, the hour or hour and ten minutes we spend in worship, have a glow about it, bring us peace, and then we walk out those doors, get into the, well, you probably have donuts and coffee first, right? (laughs) I know you all. But after that, you get in that car and you probably head back to the reality or realities of a troubled world that is waiting for you. Now, this story that Mark highlights for us, and again, Matthew and Luke capture it as well, but Mark was the most dramatic, by the way, of explaining the little boy's demon possession. I mean, if you notice, Mark spent quite a bit of time telling us and giving us that picture of how tormented this young boy was, and his father, too. I mean, we can only imagine, right? But, but the story begins with the usual cast of characters, the crowd, the scribes, the disciples, Jesus and Peter, James and John are reunited with the other disciples. We are not surprised that the scribes are arguing with the disciples. Once again, familiar picture. Jesus comes on the scene to much fanfare and amazement. He immediately asks about the argument. Someone emerges from the crowd to tell the story. He is the father of a demon-possessed boy. He brings a charge against the disciples in verse 18. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Do you blame the dad maybe for being a little frustrated? Apparently, friends... This is what they're arguing about. But I want to point out one thing that really jumped out at me is this shared request for mercy. Out again. Back again. Okay. This shared request for mercy from the father. The father does not say, have compassion on my son, help him. The scripture tells us, he said, have compassion on us and help us. I'm going to go to a handheld. Is that okay? Not only, not only is the boy suffering, but the father is suffering as well. And some of you know what that's like to have a child that you deeply care about, whether it's physically, spiritually, or emotionally. And as a parent's heart, your heart is being ripped out. And so this father says, have compassion on us and help. Friends, in Jesus' hands, the problem will begin to be solved. 
he brings even his unbelief to Jesus. And I think that's a lesson for all of us where he cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. And I really think, friends, this is a prayer of faith. The father has faith that Jesus can even help him, his son, with his lack of faith. Does that make sense? I see it as a prayer of faith. Even if I don't fully believe, it's hard for me to see my son healed, I'm placing my faith and my trust in you. And friends, for all of us, including me today, have we reached the point where we humble ourselves, confess our need, bring it to Jesus, and cry out to him to do what only he can do? And sometimes it's not about us. Now, the boy's healing would have been a perfect way to end the story. But the story ends once again with a comment on the problem that the disciples continued to wrestle with. They ask why they were unable to do what they had done many times before. And I think that's an honest question from the disciples. This worked before, why didn't it work now? Do we sometimes place our faith in the church or in the leadership rather than in the Lord? And show our real faith is in the creation rather than the creator who alone provides it. The gift to the 12 disciples of authority over unclean spirits and overall sickness is apparently not a controllable possession. In other words, whenever they want to do it, they don't just punch in the code 324541 and it works. Look what we did. The disciples cannot use it at will or without faith that says it's prayers. In other words, this isn't about us, friends. This wasn't ever about the disciples. It's always about Jesus, who is Lord over all. Yes, I believe healings happen today, empowered by the Spirit. But we need to seek it. We need to ask for it. And that's what Jesus says, this doesn't happen without prayer. I think the disciples just jumped into, let's do it. And Jesus, gently and yet probably in all his humanity, a little bit frustrated, teaches them and delivers the boy. Yesterday afternoon, I, I went on a date with my wife. Isn't that wonderful? She said, Brian, after you're done with what you're doing today, we're going to go see Jesus Revolution, the new movie that came out, okay? We're going to go see Jesus Revolution. So we went and saw Jesus Revolution. And, you know, one of the things in that story, by the way, it's a story about um, Calvary Chapel and Chuck Smith and Greg Laurie and highly recommend it, great movie. One of the things that really came out to me is one of the early... Um, one of the early risks that Chuck Smith took was inviting the hippies, right? And, and Lonnie Frisbee is one of the 
followers of Jesus. And Lonnie starts in some of the services as they grew, started placing his hands on, you know, healing people, saying, I hear a word from the Lord and, you know, setting people free. And it got a little bit out of control, okay? And I wonder, it made me think of it here, if it's all about a person or an individual and not about Jesus, that's off target per scripture in my humble opinion. And so we need to be careful. The disciples' question is exactly our question because sometimes I ask, you may have asked, why are we not able to help the people who come to us, who are hurting physically, spiritually, and emotionally? And I think the root of our problem, and we know it deep down inside, is that we really don't believe we disciples, friends, we disciples, followers of Jesus, really don't believe. And so we either give up or we try to take things into our own hands and run away from the empowerment of God's spirit and the presence of Jesus. And so how does the church find the ability she needs to help the world? By believing God enough to say her prayers. And I've been really convicted. I'm going to confess right now. I've been really convicted about taking time to pray. I have an agenda, you have an agenda, we have lists, we have things, we think there's not enough time, and we run forward, and we run ahead of God. And I think Jesus is teaching his disciples here and modeling to those that witnessed this healing and deliverance, and to the scribes who were no doubt watching in, don't forget to take time to pray, to listen. Why were the disciple, why were the nine disciples at the foot of the mountain unable to be of help to the father with the possessed son? Because they didn't have the little mustard seed faith that moved them to prayer. They had trusted in the gift they had been given more than the giver of the gift. And as Dr. Dale Bruner says, prayerlessness is powerlessness. And so I'm convicted and Lucas, if we can put up the slide, I think this is a great illustration from, from Dale Bruner um, as he concludes commenting on this passage. As this divine human conversation of listening and talking takes place, we listen to Jesus on the mountain and we talk to Jesus at the bottom of the mountain. The church breathes. Everybody take a deep breath. Doesn't that feel good? We inhale as we listen to Jesus, and as we exhale, we talk to him. Isn't that a beautiful picture of being on ministry? We take time to inhale as we listen, and we exhale as we talk to him. And so I think this is a beautiful picture or a beautiful lesson for us that the source of authoritative power in church is to listen to Jesus at the top of the mountain and the source of helping power in the church is to talk to him in the midst of the misery at the bottom of the mountain. And so friends, this is tough stuff, this is real stuff, but as we seek to continue to invite all people to grow into a Christ-centered life in God's family, May we do some more breathing, <sighs> inhaling 
and exhaling. Listen to Jesus as you take that deep breath and just exhale and talk to him. And God will do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or imagine. And yes, I share with you the, that ending passage of, of the disciples thinking about the greatest, who's the greatest in the midst of Jesus going to the cross. But Jesus turns earthly wisdom upside down and says, you need to be a servant if you want to be the greatest. You need to be last if you really want to be first. May we all continue to follow Jesus, inhaling and exhaling every day that he gives us. Amen? Amen. Dear Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you are Lord, and we just pray that you would guide and direct our steps in the days ahead. And as we encounter loved ones, friends, strangers, who have physical, spiritual, and emotional needs, may we listen to you first. May we seek your guidance as we talk to you second. And by your Holy Spirit, may we trust you to guide and direct our steps. We love you and we honor you. And we thank you for your promise of presence always. This we pray in your name as God's people say.